0: Due to the graphic nature of this kingpin's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Burma, 1973. Khun Sar stared at the wall in his Mandalay prison cell. For the past four years, this had been his view. And as he stared, he spent every moment beating himself up, forever getting caught.
0: When he was free, he had been one of the most powerful men in Southeast Asia's opium trade. Now, he was nobody. Even if he somehow managed to get out of prison, he'd be nothing without his army, and he couldn't imagine that any of his men would still be loyal to him.
1: He certainly wouldn't have stayed loyal to them. As far as Khun Sa was concerned, Life was one long set of negotiations. If the best deal meant betraying your friends, so be it.
0: The clank of the cell door startled him. No one normally bothered him at this time of day. Surely it wasn't already mealtime.
1: A guard pulled the door open. Before Kun could even ask what was going on, the man hurriedly informed him that some of his former soldiers had kidnapped two foreigners. They were holding them hostage, demanding Kuhn Saar's release. Welcome to Kingpins, a podcast Original. I'm Alastair Murden.
0: And I'm Kate Leonard. Every Friday, we journey inside the ranks of organized crime rings, from street gangs to mafiosos, to understand how a kingpin or queenpin rises to the top of the underworld
1: and why they fall. As we follow the lives of infamous crime bosses, we'll explore how money and power change them, and how it changed the community around them.
0: You can find episodes of Kingpins and all other Parcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Kingpins for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Kingpins in the search bar.
1: This is our second of three episodes on Kun Sa, a drug lord and sometimes freedom fighter from northeastern Burma. Last week, we discussed his tough childhood growing up along the war torn country's northeastern border with China, and we saw how his quest for power and money led him to start his own private militia and get into the region's lucrative opium trade.
0: This week, we'll explore how he used his deal making skills to get out of the notorious Mandalay prison and rebuild his empire and how his ambition and hubris made him an internationally infamous outlaw.
1: We'll follow Kun attempt to rebuild his empire after this. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker play the game and you could win money up to two million dollars with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to 500 dollars, moneymaker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly
0: there's a new class of blockbuster drugs drugs like ozempic they're
1: changing bodies and all of a sudden just the weight starts falling off fortunes it just got too expensive they're just Bank breakers. And industries.
0: There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism.
1: The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning.
0: From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.
1: New season out on Spotify soon.
0: In October 1969, 35-year-old Kun Sa was in trouble. He had spent the last 20 years taking what he wanted and making deals for everything else. He'd never found a problem that he couldn't kill or charm his way out of. And by the late 1960s, he had become a force to be reckoned with in both opium trafficking and heroin production.
1: But Kun Sa's overconfidence had burned him. He felt neglected by the Burmese military dictatorship, which demanded his help, but offered little in return. So he started seeking financial opportunities elsewhere. He started a conversation with the Shan State Army, a militant separatist group from his home region, the Shan State.
0: When the Burmese government found out about these talks, Kun Sa's fortunes turned on a dime. By the end of 1969, he had been arrested and charged with treason.
1: Ironically, drug trafficking charges weren't even considered because all of his opium-related activities had been done with the Burmese government's unofficial approval. It was the betrayal that they couldn't stand.
0: Solitary confinement in Mandalay Prison was a far cry from the lush, rugged hills of the Shan State. The prison would go on to be one of the most infamous in the world for its human rights abuses.
1: And for Kun Sa, being trapped inside alone was possibly the worst thing he could imagine. While he was languishing behind bars, his rivals, the powerful Kuomintang generals, were taking over his trafficking routes and heroin factories. He was sure his men were joining other outfits. For the next three years, Kun Sa could do nothing but sit there and stew over his downfall, trying to imagine a way out.
0: Meanwhile, things in the Golden Triangle were changing. Prior to the 1970s, the area's opium trade had been relatively regional. But the Chinese nationalist Kuomintang generals had bigger dreams and the CIA funds to do it.
1: To help their expansion, they formed a cozy relationship with the Thai military and government. Instead of focusing on trafficking through Burma, they realized they could make more money with less effort by expanding their heroin refineries in northern Thailand.
0: In no time at all, the Golden Triangle's heroin production skyrocketed. By 1972, the region was responsible for more than two-thirds of the world's heroin supply. Suddenly, this small rural area of Southeast Asia was in the spotlight, and Kun Sa was missing out.
1: But the sudden drug boom brought a new enemy, the DEA.
0: It's unclear if the DEA knew that the CIA was covertly backing the Kuomintang generals who ran many of the heroin labs. It's quite possible they did, since they decided not to go after them. Instead, the DEA focused its energy on stopping other opium suppliers, including a man named Lo Singhan.
1: Lo Singhan was one of Kun Sa's rivals, another ethnic Chinese warlord from the Shan region. In the wake of Kun Sa's arrest, he had taken over much of the opium trafficking out of Burma and aligned himself with the Shan State Army.
0: Once the DEA entered the fray, Lo Singhan suddenly became known as one of the most dangerous men in the world. He might have relished the prestige of the promotion if it hadn't brought a new set of problems. With the Americans paying attention, the Burmese government was forced to crack down on his trafficking.
1: As Khun Sa knew well, the Burmese military regime had never wanted to get involved in the opium trade the government's attention was already divided between threats from the Communist Party and ethnic separatist groups. The opium warlords, with their private armies, had always been useful in keeping these groups under control. But with the DEA asking questions, the Burmese government could no longer feign ignorance.
0: Lo Singhan quickly realized that he couldn't stand on his own against both the US and Burmese governments. So he decided to make a deal. He reached out to the DEA and offered to single-handedly wipe out the Shan State's opium industry if the U.S. would buy up all the product.
1: He pointed out that people in the region had been growing opium for decades because it was the only viable cash crop in an unstable area. The local farmers would be happy to stop cultivating opium if the U.S. could help them switch to a different crop.
0: In 1973, the DEA had invited Lo Singhan to Thailand to discuss the proposition. But upon his arrival, they betrayed him. He was arrested by Thai authorities, extradited to Burma, convicted of treason, and thrown in jail.
1: From his prison cell, Khun Sa watched his rival's downfall and took notes. With Lo Singhan in jail and the Kuomintang now focused on Thailand, The opium scene in Burma should have been set for a free-for-all. However, an unexpected kidnapping laid the foundation for a shift in the field, in Khun Sa's favor.
0: On the afternoon of April 16, 1973, one of Khun Sa's lieutenants, a young man named Charlie Wynn, led a small group of men into the Shan State capital. While most of their comrades had left to join other organizations, this handful of soldiers had stayed loyal to Kun Sa.
1: Walking down the street, the soldiers grabbed the first two white men they saw and dragged them at gunpoint to the edge of the city. Once they were safely hidden away, Charlie Wynn released a statement demanding Kun Sa's release from prison in exchange for the two hostages.
0: It turns out the two men were Soviet doctors. The Burmese government panicked. The last thing they needed was to antagonize a major world power. They sent troops into the Shan state to find the hostages, to no avail.
1: The standoff lasted a year. Finally, the Burmese government asked Thailand for help. They sent General Sark Chomanan, a Thai military leader with good working relationships with the drug lords, to lead the negotiations. And the conversations seemed to be fruitful.
0: In August 1974, Charlie Wynn and his men announced that they were releasing the doctors of their own accord. A few weeks later, in a supposedly unrelated move, the Burmese government decided to let Kun Sa out of prison and placed him on house arrest.
1: Few people were fooled by the public relations ploy. It was clear that Kun and his men had outmaneuvered the authorities. <laughs>
0: And so, at the age of 40, Kun Sa stepped out of jail and into the power vacuum consuming the Shan State's opium trade. From the moment of the kidnapping, various militants and traffickers had joined Kun Sa's crew, hoping to be on the winning team. Among them were Lo Singhan's men.
1: As soon as Kun Sa was out of prison, he had an army ready and waiting for him. With very little effort, he claimed Lo Singhan's territory and set about rebuilding his empire from the relative safety of his house arrest in Mandalay.
0: But Sa hadn't spent all those years behind bars plotting and planning just to pick up where he'd left off. He had bigger ambitions now. He had just one to the Burmese government. Next, he was going to make himself untouchable.
1: That would, of course, require expanding both his territory and his operation. As Kun Sa considered how to accomplish this, his thoughts turned to his old foes, the Kuomintang generals. They had shown that there was real profit to be made in heroin, especially with the Thai military as partners.
0: Unfortunately, Kun Sa couldn't reach out to Thai officials with Burmese military lackeys guarding his front door. There was only one thing to do. He was going to have to escape.
1: Coming up, Khun Sa enters the political fray from Thailand. Hi everyone, it's Alastair, and I have some very exciting news to share. I'm hosting a new podcast original series that exposes the dark, disturbing, and deadly side of medicine. It's called Medical Murders, and I think you're really going to like it. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer – men and women who took an oath to save lives but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join me as I examine the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers, dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD Dr. David Kipper. On medical murders, we'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history. Or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman. Or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow my new series, Medical Murders, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Now back to the story.
1: By early 1976, 41-year-old Kun Sa had been under house arrest in the city of Mandalay, Burma, for a little over 15 months. Since his release from prison, the drug lord had rapidly rebuilt his opium trafficking empire from afar. But he wasn't content to call the shots from a government safe house. If he was going to dominate the opium industry, he needed to be on the ground. And in the north.
0: In February 1976, Kunsa Sa suddenly disappeared from Mandalay. A charismatic negotiator, he knew it was often more effective to strike a deal than to shoot his way out of a situation. So, in order to escape, he likely paid off some of his guards and slipped out of the house without any bloodshed.
1: Once again, the Burmese government was furious at having been embarrassed by the drug lord. In retaliation, Khun name was added to the long list of militants on the government's enemies list.
0: Any affiliation between Khun Sa and the Burmese government, the key to his early success, was now officially done.
1: This burnt bridge didn't bother Khun Sa. He'd never had any particular loyalty to Burma as a country, much less to the government. However, he was savvy enough to realize that he couldn't make it on his own just yet.
0: Since he had been convicted of treason for negotiating with Shan freedom fighters, Kun Sa decided that he might as well embrace the alliance. Kun Sa was half Shan, and now seemed like the time to reconnect with his roots.
1: More importantly, though, the Shan separatist groups had controlled territory on both sides of the Burma-Thai border since the 1950s.
0: The Shan were seen as cousins of the Thai people. Because of this, the Thai government had always been sympathetic to the Shan cause. Khun Sa already had some relationships with officials in northern Thailand. If he could convince them that their shared interests went beyond the financial, it would only strengthen his power.
1: And so, when Khun Sa escaped Mandalay, he traveled to the jungles of northern Thailand. At his instructions, his men established themselves in a town called Ban Hin Tech, about 160 miles from the Burma Thai border. There, they were not only safe from retaliation by the Burmese government, but also at the crossroads of the traditional opium trafficking routes.
0: The prime new location wasn't Kunsa's only big move. To make it clear that he was now a member of the Shan separatist movement, he renamed his militant group the Shan United Army.
1: Some Shan rebels were dubious of this sudden change to Shan nationalism, and they were skeptical to work alongside him. More importantly, they were nervous about the heats the drug lord could bring, especially from the DEA.
0: But Thai officials in the region, including the general who'd helped negotiate Khun Sa's release, didn't have such concerns. Whether or not he was actually fighting for the Shan cause, they knew it was smarter to be with Kun Sa than against him.
1: This newfound alliance allowed Khun Sa to turn his headquarters in Hin Tech into a massive heroin production center... As manufacturing ramped up, he used the profits to expand his private army to nearly 4,000 men and outfitted them with top-of-the-line equipment.
0: In the first year of the Bon Tech facilities operation, from 1976 to 1977, his army trafficked more than 70 tons of opium.
1: Kun Sa depended upon his new allies to protect him from the DEA, much in the same way that the CIA protected the Kuomintang. Thai officials convinced the Americans that Kun Sa was not just a Shan freedom fighter, but was, in fact, vehemently anti-communist.
0: To the Americans, communism trumped drugs. As bad as the narcotics trade was, Ending it could decimate the Golden Triangle's economy and plunge the region into chaos. And that chaos could open the door to militant communists. As long as the Americans felt that drug lords like Kun Sa were safer than a communist revolution, things weren't going to change.
1: Kun Sa repaid his Thai backers in kind as his business took off. He poured money into their political campaigns and private bank accounts. Many of them helped him with business connections, introducing him to organized crime syndicates who could launder his money and distribute his product.
0: Within months of arriving in Thailand, Khun Sa's operation was bringing in millions of dollars. In no time at all, he had established himself as the biggest name in the Golden Triangle.
1: But he wasn't content with just money and power. Kun Sa wanted people to know who he was. He was captivated by the new world of wealth and influence he suddenly found himself hobnobbing in. Now, he didn't have to be carrying a gun for powerful men to want to know him.
0: Soon, Kun Sa had turned his charm on the press, and his name started appearing in Thai newspapers and magazines. He infamously named himself King of the Golden Triangle, much to the irritation of his Thai government associates. They didn't like him flaunting the fact that he was allowed to operate with impunity, but their greed was stronger than their concern.
1: By 1977, three years after his release from prison, Khun Sa had become the face of the globe's biggest and most lucrative heroin industry even as he wielded the cause of Shan independence as a shield.
0: Even today, it's unclear whether Kunsa ever actually believed in the Shan cause, or if it was just an act. He knew how to play the PR game, recognizing that a criminal fighting for a cause could get away with far more than a narco out for himself.
1: This kind of confusion was only reinforced as the years went on. For example, in early 1977, when other Shan militias decided they wanted to negotiate with the Americans to end the war on drugs in the region, Kun Sa joined them.
0: Even though Kun Sa's operation was safe thanks to the Thai military, the DEA had continued to maintain a presence in the area. It was better for the Shan movement and for Kun Sa if they got out.
1: So the Shan leaders decided to approach the Americans and once again propose a sale of that year's entire opium harvest to the US government. Not only would the world's largest producer of heroin not go to market that year, but the provisional Shan government would use the money to replace opium poppies with food and other cash crops.
0: This was a win-win. It would effectively put an end to the Golden Triangle's drug trade and give the Shan state the economic freedom to become independent from Burma.
1: And Khun Sa would be happy to stop trafficking if he could get his hands on all that American money. So he agreed to be the public face of the proposal. In April 1977, Joseph Nellis, the chief counsel of the U.S. House of Representatives' Select Committee on Narcotics Abuse and Control, flew out to Kunsa's headquarters to negotiate.
0: Kunsa rolled out the red carpet for the American visitor. He showed off his wealth and power, and even joked about his villainous reputation. But he made it clear that he was just a freedom fighter who only wanted the best for the Shan people. If this deal would help them gain independence then he was happy to be a part of it, even if it meant giving up his opium empire.
1: Nellis returned to the U.S. convinced that Kun Sa's arrangement was the way to put an end to the Golden Triangle's opium trade.
0: But Congress disagreed. They refused to partner with a drug trafficking warlord. And now that Kun Sa was on the international radar, The DEA believed they would look weak if he continued to operate with impunity.
1: There was only one solution. They were going to take down Kun Sa by any means necessary. Coming up,
0: Kun Sa finds himself under attack. Now back to the story.
1: By the end of the 1970s, Khun Sa was known around the world as one of the most powerful men in Southeast Asia. After his escape from house arrest, he had fled to northern Thailand and remade himself as a freedom fighter for the Shan ethnic minority. And he did it all while expanding his opium empire.
0: Unfortunately, his rise to international power made him a public enemy in the eyes of the DEA, and they were ready to go to war.
1: The Thai government wanted to stay out of the DEA's new battle, but their military relied on Kun Sa's private army as well as leftover Kuomintang drug lords to protect the country from communist insurgencies. It was a sticky yet beneficial relationship, and it was being put into jeopardy by the Americans.
0: Complicating things further, by the start of the 1980s, the heroin trade was only getting bigger, with more and more of the drug flooding into wealthy Western nations. Plus, more players from Burma were trying to get into the game in Thailand. The chaotic industry was starting to become uncontrollable.
1: At the time, Thailand was considered the only stable democracy in Southeast Asia. But the obvious impunity the Opium Lords operated with and the bloodshed that came with the drug trade was damaging that reputation.
0: Most embarrassing of all, though, was 47-year-old Kun Sa, who flaunted his power on the world stage. He continued to invite journalists and foreigners to visit him and made no secret about either his business or influence.
1: Everyone knew that he had turned the rural enclave of Ban Hin Tech into his own little fiefdom, filling it with movie theaters, temples, and new houses complete with manicured gardens. Visitors saw his Shan United Army soldiers operating alongside Thai police and military, within view of their heroin factories.
0: The Thai government might have considered the North lawless, but it was clear that Khun Sa had his organization under control.
1: Finally, in 1981, the U.S. used the full force of its diplomatic pressure to insist that Thailand do something about the drug problem. Backed into a corner, the Thai leaders knew they needed to do something to send the message that they were cracking down.
0: In July 1981, the Thai government announced that Khun Sa was a wanted man. The reward for his delivery was 50,000 Thai baht, which would be nearly 5,000 US dollars today.
1: The bounty was a ridiculously small amount of money, suggesting the lack of seriousness of the announcement. Kun Sa could have paid anyone a far larger sum not to turn him in. Recognizing that no one was fooled, the authorities raised the amount to 500,000 baht, nearly 50,000 US dollars today. However, this time, the offer was only good for a year.
0: Leaflets advertising the bounty were airdropped over Hin Tech, as if the very people distributing them didn't already know precisely where Kun Sa was.
1: Kunsaw was amused by the dramatic gesture, but unconcerned. No one in the area was going to turn on him. They owed him their livelihoods, as did the men in charge of catching him. If the government really wanted to come get him, they could.
0: But Khun knew they wouldn't, or so he thought.
1: One night, in October 1981, a house on the side of Ban Hintek was attacked by a group of 39 highly trained commandos. Hundreds of Kun Sa's men managed to hold them off, but it was a bloody fight. By the morning, nearly all of the attackers were dead.
0: It was easy for Kun Sa to narrow down who was behind the attack. He doubted that the weakening Kuomintang generals would have the audacity to attack him personally. There was no way the Americans would be this inept, and even though he was wanted in Thailand, his Thai connections would have at least given him a heads up. That left only two options, the Burmese military or his drug trafficking rivals in the Communist Party of Burma.
1: But when the attackers' bodies were collected, Khun Sa was proven wrong. The uniforms bore the insignia of a Shan militia that had recently joined the Thai Rangers, a Thai paramilitary group. Rumors circled through camp that one of the dead assailants was an American.
0: Khun Sa's blood ran cold. His men had been tricked into killing Shan and Thai soldiers, his own allies. He thought the attack may have been orchestrated by the Americans to force the Thai government's hand against him.
1: The only alternative explanation was that the Thai government had staged the trap themselves. And was that really possible?
0: Kun Sa had come to believe his own spin, convinced that he had been protecting the Thai from communist insurgents and providing jobs for the locals. He had been cooperative, paying off the right people and scratching all the right backs.
1: But if the DEA had convinced the Thai military to turn its full force against him, then perhaps his time in Thailand was really up. His own militia, which likely numbered around 5,000 men, was no match for a national army.
0: The only question in his mind was if returning to Burma would be any safer.
1: On January 21st, 1982, Kun Sa's choice was made for him. More than a thousand elite Thai soldiers descended upon Bahin Tech with fighter jets and helicopter gunners supporting them. Khun
0: Sa's Shan United Army fought back with the full force of their massive arsenal. What should have been an easy win for the Thai military stretched into a multi-day battle, with both sides taking heavy casualties.
1: However, as loath as he was to admit it, Khun Sa soon realized there was only one way this would end. The Thai army had reserves, resources, and backup. If he kept fighting, he would lose almost all of his men in the hopeless battle.
0: And if his army was wiped out, he would struggle to hold off his competitors in both Burma and Thailand. None of his international business connections would matter if he couldn't maintain his territory.
1: If he was going to survive in the drug trade, the king of the Golden Triangle had no choice. It was time to retreat back to Burma. Thanks again for listening to Kingpins. Join us next week to find out how Kun Sa rebuilt his empire one more time before his luck ran out.
0: You can find more episodes of Kingpins and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Kingpins, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Kingpins on Spotify, just open the app and type Kingpins in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Kingpins was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Kingpins was written by Kate Thorman, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Alistair Merton.
1: Killer Nurses Deranged doctors. Mad scientists. Don't forget to subscribe to my new podcast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. I'm so proud of this show and can't wait for you to check it out. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.